The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes and their families since 9-11. Hero first responders and service members who serve our communities and our country. Those who die in the line of duty or are catastrophically injured. Veterans who fought for our nation's freedom only to return home, fall on tough times, and become homeless. Heroes like Buffalo, New York firefighter Jason Arno and his family. Arno was killed while protecting his community, battling a warehouse fire. He left behind his wife and a young daughter. In their darkest hour, Tunnel to Towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage-free home. The foundation lifted a financial burden, enabling them to stay in the home where they made memories with their hero. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Support the families of America's greatest heroes, the families of fallen first responders like Jason Arno, plus Gold Star families with young children, catastrophically injured service members, and homeless veterans. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T.org. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. This episode, we have Amanda Milius with us. She is a a filmmaker. The Plot Against the President, one of her films, which got a lot of acclaim. A lot of you, I'm sure, have seen it. She also was an appointee at the State Department under the Trump administration. So she has stared at the deep state. She knows what it is like. I... Amanda, is there a swampier agency? I know everyone, the FBI is trying hard these days, but I know from the CIA side of the house, the State Department, a nest of commies. And useless ones, too. I mean, at least uh, at CIA, I'm, I mean, I could eat my words on this because I fight with the concept of CIA all the time. But uh, State Department is just... Um, it's like a playground for people that don't... They don't need to be there. You could cut that place by a 20th and run it out of a van in the parking lot and you'd do better than what they've got. I think it's like 70,000 people or something. I mean, it's absolutely insane. And like, you know, the, I actually went there cause I was so dumb to think we still did diplomacy. And then I got there and I was like, Oh no, it's just programs for, for people that want to work in the government. Yeah, like, well, what does the state department really just for everybody out there? I mean, I could say, 
as a as a little context for State Department, CIA side of the house. I was there for about five five years and change, and ten percent of that building does cool stuff. Ninety percent of the CIA just sort of shows up. Um, mm-hmm. Analyst side, operator side, you know, you you name it. Like case officer side, very few people do a vast majority of the work. So you could go full Twitter on this thing under Elon and cut it from you know eight thousand employees down to a fraction. What what really goes on at state in general? Same. I mean, you could pro- you could cut every single embassy down and the entire main state down uh, because it's it's the yeah it's the exact same thing. It's like ninety percent dead weight of because once they create a program, I'm sure you're really familiar with this. Oh yeah. Once they create yeah. a program, and if that program, at least your guys's programs were kind of like. You know, at least they're kind of, I mean, I assume they some were of them cool. were interesting, legitimately like interesting, but like ours, you know, State Department programs would be like, you know, um, women's bead making empowerment, like economy building in Botswana. And like that would be a program filled with 50 people and it will exist forever. You'll never kill it no matter what. Like Botswana could become like the most like perfectly well-run country in the world that needs no bead making classes or whatever or how to sell artisanal pots or i don't know what these people do but like it could be they don't ever change and i mean especially when you looked at the stuff in regions that were actually important like when you look at what was going on in afghanistan and we used to make the joke uh our the the, the good appointees and the, the the good the good guys would have this um framed joke because it was real though of um lesbian puppet shows for countering violent extremism now that to me is a state department program that's the perfect like lgbt puppet shows to encourage countering violent extremism that was perfect that that's state department i do remember when they went from the gwat which had a nice ring to it the global war on terror a little vague fine but kind of people everyone knew what we're talking about to yeah programs to counter overseas extremism or something it, it, it was Maybe. it was so you, counter, it couldn't countering even violent extremism and anything yeah. could fall under it you that's why i'm saying like you could put if you just put cve at the end of your program idea it would get funded so here's the thing because I, I sit here we've seen recently um obviously the, the indictment of donald trump by the doj the total sweetheart deal uh, uh, for hundred, uh, sweetheart deal doesn't even cover it. I mean, it is it's a cover up, right? There's there's low level charge, and then there's actually low level charge that ignores the real charges that are already provable because those charges would also lead to you know the president of the United States. So it's it's full on full on cover up mode. But everyone keeps saying, you know, we're gonna we're gonna drain the swamp, and then they ask me, how do we do that? I'm going to put that to you because I'm actually well, curious how anybody thinks because, you know, you were there under the Trump administration. How does the swamp get drained? Can it be drained? I'm not convinced. I, I'm I, okay, we got to. Yeah. A couple of things. A, I learned a lot since I left, one of which is that I'd, I prefer to call it the administrative state because when we get, you know, I know it's fun to call it the deep state and the swamp and stuff like that, but it allows us to rely kind of lazily on this idea of the they, as though this were something that was like um, run by a few competent people, which I don't really think it is. I think it's a ghost ship that runs itself. And that's 50 years of administrative changes and administrative law that um, 
turned what was a constitutional republic into a bureaucrat-run ghost ship, which is what our country is at this point. So it's basically, you know, whoever knows where the levers of the ghost ship are, can, like the Bidens and the Democrats, you know, there's, there's an order and the Democrats are above us. But the bureaucrats are still above them. Like the deep, the, that would be what would be deep state about it. Um, and I think we saw that in the Afghanistan pullout. That was the only time I ever saw, because, you know, I, I consider CNN or, or most of these stations to be the comms department of the intel agencies. Um, so when you see, you know, Anderson Cooper for a whole week playing in color TV on everybody's TV screens, the disaster that was the Afghanistan pullout, that is not in the white that current White House's interest. So that was the there's a there's a few times I've noticed the admin state going away from even the Democrats and kind of swatting them when they get out of line. And so I think it's like a hierarchy more more than anything. And we are at the bottom. Like the Trump administration was at the absolute bottom because it, I mean these people wouldn't even. Uh, I've made this point before too, which is that the the real problem with, like, for example, the RussiaGate thing, which is my sort of wheelhouse, is it wasn't just everyday Americans that were hearing this. All the bureaucrats of Washington D.C. went home and watched CNN and were like, "Oh, I don't have to listen to these Trump people because they're probably getting their orders from Putin or something." So you couldn't get anything done because you were either like, either they would just outright just, you know, OSS manual you to not do, you know, the stuff we used to deliver to the Soviet Union, like how to not how to not do something in an organization. Um, I mean, they got that down. Um, and uh, or they or they just would be like, no, they'd be suspicious because they'd, they'd honestly think that you were like an agent of Putin. So uh, to put it, how do you how do you get rid of that? I mean, you have to have full willingness to when we finally came up at the last year with Schedule F, which was a way to redesign um, government employees to avoid the what should be absolutely illegal unionization of them um, if they deal with policy at all, which is the Schedule F EO. Uh, and again, that's an executive order. It's not legislation. It's not, it's not something that couldn't be, as with all executive orders, they're written in sand. Like, we have to do more. It really comes down to having, like, an actual... Congress that's willing to take the country back to the way it was supposed to be run. But the first step would be to do something like that, an executive order that makes it possible to fire government employees. Because as of right now, you can move them around, you can reshuffle the deck, but it doesn't matter. They're still there and they're still just wasting I was told, tons of taxpayer money. I was told by an honest, and in the case of federal government, that increasingly just means, it's funny when I think back to it, conservative, uh, but an honest manager within the federal bureaucracy at one point, he said, he said, Buck, if you showed up and refused to do anything, but you didn't break any laws and you were here when you were supposed to be here, which goes into not breaking laws because of time and attendance fraud. Right. But he's like, if you sit in your chair when you were supposed to be here, refuse to do any work, it would take me almost two years to get you fired. I've, <laughs> I've, like, said, I've said I was something like, worse than that, which is. So now you've got the telework thing. So when I first heard the word telework um, was when I first got to state and I was like trying to run my team, which was a content team. And, you know, the world moves in 24 hour increments, right? It doesn't go from nine to five. So I was like, well, where's the night team? And they were like, we don't have a night team. And I was like, so you just put out 
like messaging during America, like East Coast nine to five. <laughs> like that, that doesn't make that's not even we're talking to the global audience. That doesn't make any sense. Like, I'm not that smart. And that doesn't even make any sense to me. Um, and uh, and then and then I was like, all right, we'll find where's the where's the graphics guy? And they were like, oh, he's he's teleworking today. And I was like, tell what? And they were like, teleworking. We have a really great telework program in this bureau. And I was like, do you know what my boss would have done to me if I said, uh, one of the independent production companies I used to work at, that I was going to telework that day? I would be like telefired. I mean, it's it, it there. There's in the film industry. Like, I actually got a lot of gained a lot of respect for it because I was like, they're hardcore. Like, there is no not showing up. There are no sick days. There's no. There's no like your every minute is a million dollars. So you're not you're not wasting any time. Um, but no, it's not only could they they not get fired. I think someone could walk up and punch their own boss in the face and it would take five years to fire them. When I found out that when I came down, we merged the bureaus at one point. I went down to the broadcast unit, which was in a different area than my bureau. And I was like, all right, cool. We got a broadcast unit. Let's let me meet all the editors. I, I was like, I bet I'll like these guys because they're they were older. And, uh, you know, I used to work in traditional broadcast when I worked for network TV. And I was like, all right, let me talk to these guys. And they were like, oh, well, only two of them come in the office of like 12. And I was like, well, where are the other ones? And they were like, they, they can't come into the building but they're still getting paid because they're in litigation with the department because they all got caught watching porn on government computers down here. And it's like in the basement. So the whole, and this, this thing, this broadcast unit handled the broadcast for like, I think most American agencies satellite and there were two guys running it and they, we couldn't hire any other, you know, young contractors to come in and just like fill the gaps until we finally fix that. Because it's, it's it's like again ghost ship it's like you try to move the machine and it, it takes like a year to do anything and it's it's so it's super frustrating so that's that's one of the things i've kind of mouthed off on twitter about you know like a lot of people are like we're just gonna drain the swamp because we're just gonna do it and it's like yeah we had a lot of people that were really really willing it wasn't about it wasn't a question of will it wasn't a question of intelligence you're up against 50 years of pretty much uh unconstitutional law that's just been passed under our nose and we live in a bureaucracy run country now yeah it is the fourth branch of government i think there's no question about that um i i want to ask you more about uh the plot against the president which was your documentary what brought you to it and and how current events you feel like uh perhaps are reflected of it in some of the messaging and some of what you we, you had in the documentary but just quickly a word from our sponsor chalk take the guesswork out of where you're going to find the energy and focus to make every day a solid one rely on chalk's male vitality stack as the solution this is a supplement set made with only all natural ingredients the leading ingredient has been proven in studies to improve testosterone levels in men's bodies by some 20 percent in the first three months of usage that's the source of energy in a man's body, testosterone. There are many more benefits that come from daily consumption of Chalk's Male Vitality Stack. Each one of them sets you up to maximize your day. Energy, focus, drive. You're going to find Chalk products online. You can buy them directly. That's the way to do it. This Texas-based company is all about purity and results. They're prepared to give you 35% off your Chalk subscription when you order now. Go online to Chalk.com. That's C-H-O-Q.com. Use promo code BUCK, that's my name, B-U-C-K, for 35% off when you go to chalk.com. 
All right, Amanda, the plot against the president. Uh, you made the movie a while back, but the plot against the president continues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, the main thing that's frustrating is, okay, so we, Lee Smith wrote the book, right? Lee Smith, the great, great journalist and author. Interviewed and him many she, times. Really, really sharp guy, yeah. I mean, the guy's amazing. So he he was the one that was actually, uh, you know, got the story down in such a way that it was following people, not um, documents. I have uh, publicly made my opinion known about a lot of conservative content um, because I think a lot of conservatives and, you know, I really want there to be more culture war stuff. More Wait, conservative hold on. Are, are you suggesting, Amanda, that when conservatives make a movie, it shouldn't look like a high school film project? That's upsetting. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of saying that. Yeah. Okay. So, so basically, I have a problem with homework on video. I don't consider that cinematic or film. And being somebody who was raised in that world and worked in it for as many years as I did, and then went to the best film school in the world, I can really see it when I see it. And I'm like, it makes me want to barf. So I tend to call it out. I'm even though I want to applaud and say we should have more voices, not less, right? Andrew Breitbart. Um, But there are a lot of good up-and-coming conservative or right-wing or whatever you want to call it, um, film directors that I am looking forward to working with that are actually really, really good. And, you know, a lot of the guys that worked with Tucker, for example, a lot of people um, just on their own. Uh, I'm not super fond of the homework assignment on video vibe. So anyway, to do why I was attracted to Lee Smith's way of telling something so complex as Russiagate, which is extremely complicated. Like, you got to make explaining to a general audience what a FISA warrant is interesting, okay? Like, that goes to, like, you know... um, when they had Margot Robbie naked in the bathtub with the champagne explaining uh, the stock market um, in the big short. That's, that's, you, that's a cinematic tool of like, you have to get through some really dry exposition. Like, how do you do it? Well, with us, what we did is we had the most charismatic people explain it. And that, on that one in particular, we broke it down. Mike Cernovich did it. Um, we had Deep Throat's lawyer um, from Watergate. And a lot of the people who were affected by it, like, um, you know, Don Jr. and people like that. Um, so so basically, we, we put this movie together uh, based on Lee Smith's book, because Lee Smith's book is a noir spy thriller, which is what, what Russiagate is. It should be like our, our version of All the President's Men, which was the, you know, classic 1970s movie about um, Watergate, which co- sort of created the lore of these, like, detective um, journalists, like the the Washington Post detective journalists. And so we're sort of, we sort of did the opposite of that, right? I mean, we're dealing with undoing that work. Um, But it's the same creepy vibe. I mean, Washington, D.C. really is a noir city. The streets are always wet. It's dark. Bad things are happening. You don't know who to trust. Everyone's two-faced. I mean, if you study film noir, like I did in, in college, it's the perfect city for a noir movie. So that's what I tried to do is bring that aesthetic to the concept of Russiagate. And it worked really well. Um, we were really lucky. I mean, we filmed it during the beginning of the, you know, COVID shutdown and everything. So conveniently all the streets were empty and everything was just like kind of at our disposal. And we had a, we had a grand all time, but um, yeah. And uh, we got it out before the 2020 election and, 
the frustrating thing now is uh, is that I'm I'm watching this Durham stuff and the hearing yesterday. Um, I was so entertained by Matt Gates just tearing up Durham because we've been told that Durham was going to spend four years um, finding new information, and there's not one single thing in his report that isn't in our 90-minute movie <laughs> where I'm like, I could have saved you four years. And there's this one part in the uh, in the uh, hearing where he's whining about how he had to spend four years away from his family to investigate all this stuff. And you're like, okay, well, I could have saved you that. You could have sat down with your family and watched Plot Against the President and you wouldn't have had to do anything because you didn't do it. He, when he's talking about how he couldn't find Misfud, we couldn't find him, right? But I'm, I'm me. I'm not hired by the Department of Justice. I don't have the power of the state behind me. I can't subpoena anybody. I can just call them and ask them if they'll be interviewed in my movie. And most of the bad guys are going to say no. Like, unsurprisingly, James Comey was not interested in being interviewed by me. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, this man had the, the power of the DOJ behind him, right? Like, he had an assignment. And it's unbelievable that he got the same interviews I did. I mean, Cash Patel tells the story of the 65 people coming in, um, all of the heads of agencies who would have known about the Russia collusion, had there been any, how under oath, every single one of them, when asked, have you found any evidence of the Trump administration or campaign colluding with Russia, every single one of them said no, it, you know, behind closed doors, under under oath, until it was declassified by Rick Grinnell. Um, and, uh, the fact is we've known that we, so Lee put that book out in 2019, at least in manuscript form when I optioned it, we put the movie out in 2020, which by the way, that's an insane turnaround time that I'm never doing again. I'm never making a movie in less than a year again. So no one asked me. Um, it's just, it's crazy. You're not supposed to do it that way, but, um, we did, um, and it went really well. You know, it's like still like, I, I it's the number one documentary on Amazon uh, per reviews still um, doing really, it, it's just, it's, it's broken through to people because it's not conservative. It's not just conservative red meat, right? It actually explains a story that you get engaged with. That's how you change hearts and minds. You don't just tell them facts don't care about your feelings. Here's the facts and we're conservative. So we're correct because here's the facts. Like, I don't know if anyone studied propaganda, but that doesn't, that doesn't work. You have to change people's hearts. Like it's not, it's, I don't know if I'm more attuned to that because I started in the arts or I, I'm a chick or something. I don't know, but I don't ever start out with, here's the FISA warrant and here's what was wrong with it. It's like, no, here's the man whose life was destroyed and his family and his kids and this and that. And this is why this matters. If this can happen to him, it can happen to you. I'll never forget so, the first time I, I, I met um, Carter Page, you know, the target of one of the FISA warrants. And yeah. he's for anyone who hasn't met, you know, well, not met, but any has he's, he's he a really special remember, guy. He's, you know, but he sat down. He's like, hey, it's <laughs> like, you know, I hung out with your dad for a day at the Harvard Club once. And I was like, wait, I'm, I'm interviewing him on set. It wasn't like a social setting, like right before yeah. the cameras turn on. And I was like, what? And then I'm like, I, I'm like, wait, hold on. He's like, oh yeah, your dad's so fun. Like, you know, he's just really like matter of fact and kind of nonchalant He's like about the it. nicest guy. And, like, oh, he's, like, he's a totally nice guy. But I remember yeah. I, I called my dad later. I'm like, dad, did you? He's like, oh, um, 
oh, I think I, I think I did hang out with uh, Carter. You know, it's like this whole thing. I'm like, Dad, that's the guy. <laughs> like you were talking to the RussiaGate guy at the Harvard Club. Like this is before all that stuff happened. But I was like, you guys are, you know, they were at some like event about U.S. China policy. You know, one of these things where guys really? show up, whatever. And, uh, and my dad was there, you know, because he likes to learn about the world. And um, anyway, it was just kind of funny because I was like, wow, the world's a very small place. I want to ask if you're going to make another movie like this or what the next project is. But first, I got to talk to people about gold, Amanda, because <laughs> precious metals, very important out there. All right. If you're worried about the disruptions that could hit the global economy, how do you diversify? I own gold. I've got some right here with me. Exactly. She's got some gold. She's got some bling on her. Hard gold. I'm talking about the real, actual, physical gold. Because it's a great way to hedge against inflation and also to protect value, even if the dollar gets into really rough shape. Gold and silver can be a protection for your portfolio. So why not have gold and silver on hand? Try the Oxford Gold Group. That's who I trust. That's who I go to. Call is free, and the people on the receiving end of the call are knowledgeable and trustworthy. 833-430-BUCK. That's 833-430-BUCK. 833-430-BUCK. Call the Oxford Gold Group, get some gold, get some silver, take action today so that you're ready, because I think the economy is actually going to get really ugly for the uh, latter part of this year. All right, Ms. Milius, why can't we just make really cool movies about stories that people care about on the right anymore? Like, why is it like I sit here like, I, can I just tell you, I know that I'm, I'm a civilian. so You can tell me I'm silly, but I'm just like, why? <laughs> you know, fine. I don't know these things, but like Ridley Scott making a movie about the great siege of Malta or something like there's so many awesome concepts out there. And instead like Disney is giving us fire and water because fire is being racist against water. You know, that just happened, right? Like that's yeah. actually elemental. That's what just happened. Why can't we get good stuff made anymore? Um, I talked about this since I think before I went to film school because I saw it Look, Hollywood, first of all, a couple of reasons. Hollywood was the first industry that China purchased. It was their toe in the water of the American market. Granted, they were messing around with a bunch of land stuff for a long time. But people, you know, when I was at State Department, again, I remember getting briefed on China's involvement in Hollywood. And I was like, uh, yeah, bro, I know. Uh, I remember, like, my dad made Red Dawn, and then when they did the remake, they had to change it to North Korea as to not offend the Chinese markets. Um, so, okay, one of the reasons is China owns... Wait, can, can you tell the audience real quick who your dad is, just so they know, because oh, they may not know. Um, yeah, right. My dad is John Milius, great film writer and director. I mean, really the greatest writer of our generation. I... I Feels weird saying that, but I believe it. Um, he's he's awesome. He did. Uh, he wrote Apocalypse Now. Um, wrote and directed Conan the Barbarian, Red Dawn, Wind and the Lion, the TV series Rome, uh, which is really he awesome. He did Rome. I didn't know. I yeah. love that series. Yeah, I watch it once every two or three years because I just have to. I it's think. So okay, good. I, I'm sorry. I'm 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 actually now fanboying a little bit. <laughs> I think that is the most underrated scripted series that I've ever seen. Not that people didn't realize this, but like it just didn't get, it was too expensive, so they didn't make the third season or whatever, but like it's a phenomenal no, they series. they changed, uh, HBO ch had a female um, CEO come in that this is people, some people are like, oh, they, they canceled the, the, la the last, because Rome could have gone on for 10 seasons, right? Because my dad could write Roman history for every single 
Caesar, right? Every single leader yeah. of all the way to the decline of Rome and beyond, probably. My dad's a ma massive history buff and he'll he'll throw in all kinds of wacky stuff from his own personal point of view that is really fun. But um, uh, they, they canceled it because he really didn't get along with them. Um, you know, that show was probably the second hour long drama that did really well because I think it was around the time of The Sopranos, which this is when, I mean, those pre-Mad Men. So it had, it was, it was really before people got to this point where they were like the quality storytelling, acting, and production is in this hour-long drama on either HBO, Showtime, you know, certainly not Netflix at that point or anything like that. Netflix didn't kick that off until House of Cards. Um, but all of that stuff uh, was new. That was a new format. High, high-quality, hour-long programming was not a thing until The Sopranos. So um, uh, it's it just is really ahead of its time. And uh, between that and Conan, there certainly wouldn't have been a Game of Thrones. Um, but there were many, there were quite a few years between those shows. Um, but yeah, they had they changed CEOs. My dad was politically, uh, I mean, people say I'm to the right of him. I think he's to the right of me. It's hard to tell. We just sort of trade off, but we're both pretty right wing. Um, and, you know, things were starting to change. Like in the 70s, nobody cared. Like all the he's his best friends were all the film school brats, right? Like Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, um, uh, Francis Coppola, all these guys like they didn't they, they didn't think about politics. In fact, nobody really thought about politics, at least from what I could remember until like 2015 or 16. Did it become a defining part of who you were it was just like unless you worked in politics or in the government it wasn't nobody cared really um but anyway so you know you're coming up onto the era where people start to care hollywood cared before most so there's another reason why it sucks they don't just care about making money <clears throat> if they did just care about making money they would have made a gazillion versions of american sniper because that was one of the most profitable movies that was appealing to the entire country um Top Gun, even from la last year, I think, was fairly unpolitical and did very, very well. I don't, they're not making action movies like that. They're making female James Bond, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I, I, I think I, I talked about that on Breitbart for like an hour. I just like exploded with rage about like the, the death of well, James Bond. Well, you Bond. know, they, they, they kind of ruined Indiana Jones just by making a really bad version or yeah. you know addition to Have it you with seen it? um and, and now they've got a female lead and apparently it's like they've exhumed the body of Indiana Jones after they killed Indiana Jones and are now lighting it on fire in some kind of like ritual post-mortem sacrifice like the no, well, I can't, that's the what British I said chick. that's that's what they're doing to all of our favorite that's what they're doing to our whole culture I said that about the James Bond thing where I was like they had to take the ultimate masculine the whole point of James Bond is he is the the male fantasy of a guy with cool gadgets, guns, a license to kill, always in a cool foreign country doing sexy stuff, always waking up next to a new chick, like whatever, whatever. The male fantasy of this sort of dapper character was was part of part of the whole culture, and they had to make him a total cuck in the last uh before they finally kill him they had to they had to ruin who he was as a character 
because you're not allowed to think like that anymore. You're not allowed to, that's no, yeah. that's no longer an acceptable fantasy. Um, and that's what they're doing yet. I mean, Indiana Jones, like, again, like the adventurer, the, the discoverer, like this thing boys would dream about of being like, um, you know, I'm going to be an archaeologist and find weird, cool stuff and swing from ropes and da, 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 da. Like all of these male fantasies have to be murdered before they put them to bed, before they change these characters over. And it's it is an assault on our country. I think this is this is kind of where I started to go. I did a speech about this at NatCon um, comparing something like the current James Bond to The Searchers or something, you know, great movie that really meaningful in my family, <clears throat> my dad's favorite movie. He named my brother Ethan. I didn't get any cool names, but um, but uh, his sons did. They were older than me, uh, so they got all the cool names. But um, uh, they, uh, you know, it's you compare the movies that were made at that time, um, and these a lot of those movies, you know, in the, the 40s, 50s, 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, even in the 60s, were made by uh, immigrants, a lot of Jewish immigrants, a lot of German immigrants, a lot of um, just a lot of people who were just so pro-America because they were getting the hell out of where they were. And so they made some of the most patriotic movies of all time. I mean, the spaghetti westerns, weren't they made got, by an Italian? Oh, well, you've got the Sergio Leone ones, which yeah. was just a, an homage to the American West as a concept. Um I mean, Sergio Leone is awesome. Like, just I I copied so much of that for my student, my my thesis film, my first one. But um, but uh, anyway, so yeah, the the film and the reason this matters, it's not just culture war stuff. It's because my my argument is that this is the most important export America had. Right, the Cold War we could argue was won by blue jeans, rock and roll, and American films, not by ICBMs. Yeah. Right. Like, so, so now when we're only exporting things that tell the world that we're a racist, terrible place, that sexist and all of these other awful things, I mean, the only benefit to it I can think of is maybe it'll stop people from constantly trying to immigrate here and like cross the border, but it doesn't seem to be working. Um, but that's not, China's not telling mythology to its itself. Uh, that's terrible about itself. We're the only ones doing that. Like, um, no, the if anything, China, of, China is actually delusional about its recent history yes, as a is. country and does not allow anyone yeah. to talk about when I tell people that 40 to 60 million people died in the middle of the 20th century in China in a man induced famine. They're just mm -hmm. like, no way your numbers are right. And I'm like, check them. How do they and, not know that? Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, uh, that, you know, they, and the, the way I learned that was uh, so my dad's last script that he wrote was Genghis Khan and Genghis Khan is mentioned in almost every one of my dad's movies. Um, and so of course he's obsessed with Genghis Khan I and mean, he thinks he is Genghis Khan. Um, and, uh, and, uh, he, he wrote this amazing, amazing, just epic script. Can't get made for a variety of reasons. Um, like most of my dad's unmade scripts. Um, but I do remember when I was a kid, the first time I saw this is he walked out of a room full of Chinese dudes because one producer had somehow secured funding through China. This is the beginning of all this. This is like many years ago. I was like a kid. And my dad was like, I wouldn't take notes from American executives about my scripts. Like, screw these guys. I'm late. We're leaving. And we just left. And they were trying to correct the Genghis Khan story to match their version of that history. And 
that that was the beginning of my exposure to China just absolutely purchasing Hollywood. And I and I, I like I said, I, I go on about it because no culture or nation can survive if the mythology they're telling itself about itself is that is as bad as what Hollywood is saying to us. It's 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 bad for women, it's bad for men, it's bad for all racial categories it's bad for everything um so it's yeah it's it's a i that's why i'm like okay fine i'm not gonna pick on the conservatives making movies too much like make more movies it's good let, yes let's all conservatives we need to be making movies but like for I, I, god's I also sake think there need to be more more uh you know we've, we've lost some even it's not even necessarily overtly political although there's some of this in like no, just Michael, stories just in, good yeah, movies just good stories that aren't woke crap meant to brainwash people into hating themselves in the country that they live in. I mean, I even put, you know, yeah. whether it's Tom Clancy, Michael Crichton, like some of these authors, I mean, Crichton turned very hard against, for example, climate change. Um, really, cause you know, he's a Harvard trained MD and he's just like, this is idiocy. Like all these people walking around saying this, he's like, and he's like, I'm a smart guy. I'm super rich. I don't care. The climate change stuff is crap. And they went bonkers on him, of course. But I, I you're, you're really in the NBA, right? Am I right about this? I'm into the. I'm very into basketball. Yeah. All right. And the we're NBA. Gonna, yeah. Like we're gonna specifically talk. not college basketball. We we're really good. You're gonna let me talk about basketball? Just how we're gonna close the show out? Because I'm gonna ask you a tough question. Because I used to be in to the basketball until I realized I was never gonna be more than scraping the bottom of six feet, like five eleven and three quarters. But we will. Dude, talk about you this. you missed out. You could have stuck through it because this is the era of the. Uh, you could have been the Steph Curry of your college. How do you know? I mean, you could have been suddenly the best three point shooter of like. Uh, I don't. I don't know where do CIA guys go to college. I'm going to tell you. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like more CIA yeah. directors went to Amherst where I went than any other school, which is kind of a funny fact oh. about Amherst. Yeah. So there you okay. go. We've got we got three of them. Um, we'll get to basketball in a second, but this is not as fun a topic but it's an important topic life insurance my friends people are relying on you to be there for there's no way to not do that as a hard turn amanda people are relying on you to be there for them look i got married this year i was telling amanda before and so i had to do all these things now like you know the put the documents and the will together and you know you need to have life insurance too this is just a reality it's an adult thing you got to do and you want to get a great policy for a great price that's where policy genius comes in you can find life insurance policies that start at just 25 dollars per month with a million dollars of coverage some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius has licensed agents who can help you find the best fit for your needs. They work for you and not the insurance companies. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net. You deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Go to policygenius.com. That's policygenius.com. Go check it out today. All right, our final topic on this pod, Amanda. The end. Does that work if you want to take a policy out on your spouse without them knowing? Just asking for a friend. Anyway, uh, sorry, keep going. We're good. We're good. <laughs> I, 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 sure, I don't know. Um, so the NBA. I grew up. I don't know. I don't know how old you are. I'm gonna guess you're 25 because I'm told now that all all young ladies are. You know, if you're on TV with them, just say they're 25 because they can't get mad at you. <laughs> um, but yeah, right, exactly. So I don't know how old you are. You may be though slightly in the same Classified. generation. What's up? It's classified. Classified, right. You may be, though, not too Tucker far away really from my generation. I really enjoyed it when I said I'm going to say, I think you're a fellow millennial. How about that? You're a fellow millennial. I'll put that out there. That sounds probably correct. So, yeah? yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. That, that covers it. Yeah. That covers it. Right. 
because I grew up watching the New York Knicks when they were this like fun. And I honestly been watching on TV. I would go. I had an uncle who had season tickets a few years. So I didn't go all the time because I'm not his son, but I would go to some of the games. Um, I went to, I don't know, probably 20 or 30 Knicks games growing up, um, which is not a ton. But for me, that was a lot because I haven't been to like a basketball game in God, I don't know now, 20 years. So I don't go anymore. I can't stand the NBA because of its politics. Tell me. Okay. Let me, me, let me fix you. I, you I got, got You got to help me I with this because I used to I love, I mean, all right, all right. I, I go back to Charles Oakley and Ewing and Anthony Mason yeah, and the bomb yeah. squad and the whole thing. Like I was all about no, it. Michael, Michael Jordan saying Republicans buy sneakers too is the key, right? Okay. So here we go. The year in the bubble, we don't count that because it's the, and I say that as a diehard Lakers fan. Okay. I'm willing to give up that flag, right? I could give crap about the bubble year it doesn't count i don't accept lebron as a laker i it's very conflicting for me because i still want the lakers to win i just want him to be on the bench and out of my sight but um i you know i grew up in los angeles so i am about basketball is my sport like that's just how it is we have like 10 basketball teams in california um so and uh i grew up watching kobe and I, I'm, a, I'm, I don't know if you, anyone who's been on my Twitter knows I'm obsessed with Kobe Bryant. Like Kobe Bryant, I've read every book that he's involved in related to the Mamba mentality. Surmises what my dad used to teach me as a young girl how to how to be, you know, brave enough to be hated by people and how to direct that energy into something that's productive and 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 unde- unbeatable and how to be the best and the, like this whole thing about discipline. Like the other day I was doing, we were doing a, a film uh, review on this other podcast, uh, The Backwall, which is the cinema sports cast that I do with my friends. Um, we're doing He Got Game, you know, Spike Lee's movie from 1998. Uh, amazing period of time. Amazing message in that movie, by the way. I encourage you to revisit that movie. The message about parenting in that video is absolutely gone from American culture. It's incredible. Anyway. We ignore the year of the bubble, even if the Lakers won a championship. This year, I returned to the NBA because I am so sick of the political infighting that was going on on Twitter that I was like, I just want to watch something pure. Sports I always loved because it was pure. As long as they continue counting points and there is a winner and a loser and they don't give trophies to everybody, as far as I'm concerned, it's still pure. They don't have the BLM stuff written on the court anymore. Now you got to worry about baseball. Basketball has cleaned itself up completely. There is no politics in it anymore. That was like one year where, yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch. Well, when I was in government, I didn't have time to watch anything. So I, I missed four years with the movie, five years of, of basketball. So I, I literally at one point asked the guys that I do the uh, sports cast, the sports ball cast with i was like whatever happened to anthony davis like, he's on the lakers dude i was like oh awesome all right we got anthony davis cool um uh so like i'm not like you know trying to be some absolute expert but by the end of the season like i can i can out basketball talk anybody um because i mean it's just my it's my blood i mean it's it's i i just live for it and as long as it's like the comforting sounds of a of a game on in the background would you rather hear that or the news? 
Like, I don't want to hear the news anymore. I know all those people. That sounds, it sounds like being in a room full of people I know arguing with each other. I just want to hear the squeaky shoes and the, the, the low, steady voices of the announcers with the occasional excitement about a three. And, and I'm good. Like, that's, that basketball is just beautiful to me. It's, my, it's like my favorite art form. I, I could, the I could more, watch it uh, all day more long. Compelling, one of the more compelling pitches for it I've heard in a long time. So, Amanda? I mean, and, and look, you, you men have strip clubs to go to. I got to watch professional sports. Like, I don't know how to explain that any better. I'll I'll take it. Amanda Milius, everybody, <laughs> check out uh, her on Twitter. Uh, you know, and and uh, Amanda, we got to get you come back sometime. You got to get you on the on the radio show with Clay. By the way, we would have a lot of fun. Totally. The three of us talking about things. You will. Uh, that would be really good stuff. So we'll set that up. Thank you so much, and uh, everybody, we'll talk to you Let's soon. Let's do it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans, heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country, heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. Major Turnbull sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber, the complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye. He needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. He moves around his home more easily now. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel to Towers in supporting America's heroes, our nation's catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 